Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I am your host, Elaine Miller Karras, and I am encouraged by today's guests and their messages. They will discuss trauma informed mental health advocacy and how to access the funds from the American Rescue Plan Act. And they'll tell us what that act is um, before they get started or how we can maybe get our, get our hands on those funds. How do we fund innovative reforms to make mental health services that are trauma-informed and resiliency-focused more accessible? Carrie Smith-Sip is from PACES and Jesse Kohler from um, the Campaign from Trauma-Informed Policy and Practices. We'll call it CTIP because that's a mouthful, um, Jesse. And they both advocate differently. Um, so um, Carrie really focuses on communities and Jesse focuses on legislatures. And he'll, they'll both tell us a little bit more about their organizations. But they will share their views and the importance of community members working together and using their voices to create change. They will help us understand this American Rescue Plan Act three new pieces of legislation that can help our communities organize and fund mental health practices, fostering equity, diversity, and inclusion. They will discuss how accessing the funds of the American Rescue Act plan can help in protecting our most precious resources on the planet, our children, and children to come and on, and also this earth of ours. Carrie and Jesse will also share a little bit about themselves and what inspired them to be invested in this work. I want to tell you a little bit more about each one of them. So Jesse is the executive director of the campaign for oh, campaign for trauma informed policy and practice CTIP. He also runs press on LLC and is a consultant for the Autonomic Nervous System Research and Lakeside Global Institute. I just love that name, Jesse. Jesse went to Oberlin College undergrad and has his master's in educational leadership from Arcadia University. He interned at the Pennsylvania Office of the Attorney General in the Office of Public Engagement to develop what's called the Pennsylvania Trauma-Informed Care Network. And after graduating with his master's, Jesse became the Director of Development for North Light Community Center. And of course, now he's the Executive Director of CTIP. So, Carrie Smith-Sip is a community facilitator for PACES Connection, formerly ACES Connection, leveraging her ongoing recovery and four decades experience as a writer, marketer, and fundraiser. Carrie nurtures community-based PACES initiatives in 11 southeastern states, supporting their grassroots efforts to prevent and heal trauma and create and build on the positive childhood experiences that lead to individual family, and community strength and resilience. I am really happy to know both of them. And as we get started, I'm going to ask them each a question. And I'm going to start with you, Jesse. As we start today, what's on your mind? Anything in particular coming up for you? Uh, so I am thrilled to be here with you, Elaine, and you, Carrie, um, and you, Aaron, and everybody who's listening. Uh, I think that what's been on my mind recently is a lot of the horrifying news that's been coming out, whether it's the building collapse in Miami that I've been thinking about, those who have been impacted, uh, school violence, 
statistics that are coming out in neighborhood violence, especially in my hometown of Philadelphia, there's rising gun violence, as well as the hope that exists to create better communities through the investments that we'll be talking about today. And, and that's sort of been uh, what's my overriding mindset recently. And I really, I think, Jesse, and thank you so much for, I mean, when we listen to the news, it can be very demoralizing. But I think it's also important for our listeners to remember there's a lot of us working um, in, in areas throughout the country, throughout the world, to try to change up what's happening with this community violence and the other things that are happening in the world. So I'm going to go to Carrie now. And Carrie, um, what's on your mind today as we get started? Well, thanks, Elaine. And good to see you, Jesse. And thank you, Aaron, for being here with us. And just how, no matter what the problem is, the, the root cause goes back to trauma. And that as we look at all of this that is happening, there are so many great things that are happening, too. Um, I heard from Jane Stevens, the founder and publisher of Paces Connection yesterday, that the Gabor Mate, um, uh, uh, the Wisdom of Trauma uh, documentary has had 7 million views since it launched just like three or four weeks ago. There are two major campaigns out now about um, ACES science, PACES science, um, my number story, and um, that California is launching into a huge campaign. They've already had one going on. So the groundswell is, is happening, that people are starting to connect the dots between trauma as the root cause of most of our intractable problems, health problems, racism, um, systemic issues that have lasted you know since long before the beginning of this country but then in that if we can just nurture those precious little baby brains um for a couple of months after they're born and then provide some safe stable nurturing environments along the way some helpful people uh you know we can be living in a much much saner less violent um more compassionate functionally compassionate functional compassion um, world. So, yeah, yeah. there are good Thank things you. happening. Yeah. Yes, and, and a safer world for all of us. I think, you know, we are, I think the three of us are really committed to that. Also, I just want to say Aaron is our um, engineer on the show today in case some people are wondering, well, who is Aaron? <laughs> I don't know who that person is. So, Aaron, we're just grateful that you're helping us with having good sound today. So, I want to um, go also into some other questions. And I, you know, I know you two are both passionate about the work that you do. So, how has your lived experience inspired you to create the work you're passionate about in the world? So, Carrie, you want to start? and tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what has inspired you to do this work from your lived experience? Well, <clears throat> Elaine, my lived experience, um, you know, was growing up in a tremendous amount of domestic violence. Um, and the thing that happened four years ago um, when Trump was elected, um, I realized I did not know then what I know now about developmental trauma and the realization that I had experienced so much developmental trauma, the trauma that happens when we're very, very young. And it explained so much that, you know, why I checked out at school and, you know, all through school, um, why I couldn't connect the dots when numbers and letters were put together in algebra. Um, you know, all those um, ADD-like symptoms were not necessarily ADD. I do think I have it. 
but also it was being hypervigilant. And so, so many children today who get in trouble, and I was paddled in third gra- fourth grade, maybe fourth or fifth grade, for crying out loud. But so many kids who are, um, you know, called on the carpet for, um, for disruptive behaviors or whatever, it's because they're hypervigilant and they're, they're acting out of wanting love, needing some attention, um, needing a hug, needing to feel safe. Uh, so I went to school. I didn't. I felt safe at school, but that was about the only place I felt safe. And so this this lived experience and knowing this is happening right now to many of our children around the country, around the world, has inspired you to be such a strong advocate. Well, I think that and this may sound like a weird way to say it, but Elaine, we're leaving brains and lives on the table by not nurturing people. And so my entire life has been about wanting to help others not go through that, wanting yes. others to have that safe, stable, nurturing environment um, so that they can reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's what it is. And how we do that is, is Paces Connection, education, um, building community, working with Jesse. Okay, and, and so I'll ask Jesse the same question because I know you, you partner together to do a number of projects. So, um, Jesse, so how has your lived experience, you know, in, inspired you to do the work that you're so committed to right now? So, you know, I, I, I like to lead off with uh, just a recognition of how privileged I am. And, you know, I have an ACES score of zero, came from a loving family, a wonderful community where resources were plentiful and available. Uh, but I had complex trauma through my life. I, my best friend, when I was in high school, passed away. In middle school, I went through um, an eating disorder that was caused by severe anxiety attacks when food was near my mouth because of a choking incident and the PTSD from that. Um, and I, I think that you know the, the relationships that I had, the opportunities that I had available to me allowed for that healing and wellness to come through. Uh, sports was a huge outlet for me. And so going through college, I had that recognition. And then I worked in an inner city public high school and saw how much more loss there was in the world. I think that I knew it, but it was different when you saw it every day in the students that I worked with. And those students, though they had more loss uh, in terms of, you know, I mean, there, there were students that had multiple friends who had already died of gun violence, for instance, mm-hmm. that I had worked with and family members that were not present because of incarceration or other reasons. They did not have the same resources available to them. And the year after that was when I was introduced to trauma-informed care, working for the attorney general's office. And I saw the importance of that relationship-based approach to the work. And I just became a passionate advocate. I don't believe in silver bullets necessarily, but I think that trauma-informed care, resilience-focused practices, healing-centered approaches are one of those things that can solve so many issues in our society that bring people together and let us lead toward addressing other problems that perhaps those approaches alone don't necessarily reach. And so, you know, when I saw that, I just wanted to go all all in for it. Well, and I think that you bring up something that's really also really important is that there can be 
of course, the developmental trauma that Carrie talked about, but there's traumas that happen to us just from our lived experience. I mean, when you talked about, you know, the near choking, when, you know, that can be an existential life and death experience, right? And that one moment can shape things that happen after. So I think that when we come from that trauma-informed perspective, it opens up the lens of, of knowledge and also then, okay, well, what are some of the interventions? What are some of the skills that we can learn that not only individually, but collectively as communities that may be able to override that so that we can not forget it, but also be in, and I love what you said, resiliency focused, right? How can we create and cultivate our well-being so that we can live more fully to create those safer worlds that Carrie discussed? So as we, you know, I'm just wondering one more question for both of you about this is that, can you share like for each of you, like a personal resource, like what helps you like, um, Carrie, when you talk about your lived experience, is there any particular thing you can tell us, maybe one thing each that helps you get through like tough times or difficult times? I know you mentioned relationships, Jesse, but, um, and if, if maybe that's it, or maybe there's something else. So I'll start with Carrie. Carrie, can you tell us one thing that's kind of one of those resources in life that helps you get through? My grandmother, you know, I mean, yeah. She knew, she knew my father had been abused, you know, and his, his violence came as the result of having been treated violently, but she was so compassionate and so kind. And I would, as a, as a child lay across her lap and she would rub my back for hours. And, you know, she taught me things. She took me out and showed me plants and, and, you know, fostered a love of gardening that um, hmm. that, that, that I have, have today. So, yeah. I'm what a sweet her. story. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people when I've asked this question have told me about their grandparents. It's really because oh, yeah. I would say the same thing. I just have to now share it like a personal story because you just reminded me of little tears in my eyes thinking about it. So I was gardening with my granddaughter um, last week and we had the potting soil and the plants. And so she, I had got little gloves for her to be in the soil and I had mine on. And all of a sudden she stops and she, she's four. She looks up and she goes, Nana, can you take a picture of this? And I said, well, sure. She said, I don't want to ever forget this moment between you and me. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, she's four. And she said that. So, you know, it was a wonderful little moment. So thank you, Carrie, for reminding me of that personal experience. So that's it. And when grandma's, yeah, little simple thing, right? And we need to go back and retell ourselves our story of trauma because there might have been some horrible, lots of those moments, but there were some wonderful moments too. And that's the thing we have to hold on to. So oh, well, that's what I always say is about what else is true. Is there something like those moments that we can pull out? And so Jesse, over to you. Can you tell us about one of your resources? So I could go on about relationships. I'll do a quick shout out to Bubby and Poppy, who <laughs> I'm very privileged are still with us. And I, I speak to them every Thursday. Uh, so love that. Uh, for me, again, like sports was huge and that has turned into refinding the importance of exercise. I think the COVID was very important for that for me because uh, I sort of lost that after my college baseball days. Um, but in addition to the relationships, the exercise, the continual practice of self-improvement for myself in that realm and sort of escaping from you know, the news that I'm involved with and sort of dunk my head into every day has, has been incredibly important for me. Yeah, well, I think for many of us, moving our body is so important, right, to kind of feel that vitality inside of us. So, and I want to segue, thank you so much for, for sharing that and for inspiring me to remember that little moment with my granddaughter as well. But um, I think it might be important for people to know, um, Jesse, I'm going to ask you first, you know, what is CTIP? 
Can you tell us what this campaign does? And you're the executive director. Congratulations. I know that's a, a new position. So thank you. Uh, so CTIP is a new nonprofit organization. I tell everybody that I am truly standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, the board members that launched CTIP are some of the four parents of the trauma-informed field, people like Sandy Bloom, Andy Blanche, more Diane Wagonhalls, so many people that I couldn't give proper credit to, but all of them are incredible. And it launched five years ago with the help of an attorney named Dan Press, who is one of the drivers of understanding how Congress works. He represented Native American tribes for four decades and now does pro bono work as general counsel for CTIP. Um, and so CTIP is, as the name indicates, interested in promoting trauma-informed policy and practice. We have an initiative called the National Trauma Campaign, where we have advocates all around the country who connect with their elected officials, communicate calls to action, working toward promoting trauma-informed legislation. And then in our partnership with PACE's Connection and others, you know, we understand that though we work at a federal level and that we work at a very high level, the important piece and what we're working toward is that community-based grassroots-led initiative Um, because that is where healing happens. Healing happens in those one-on-one relationships. And so really getting down to that level and then promoting advocacy through that and spreading the good work that's going on in communities, the good practices that are happening around the country and frankly around the world, and making sure that our elected officials are hearing that information and continuing to put resources toward promoting, proving the model and continuing to move the movement forward is what CTIP's most interested in. And so then um, and you said community-based grassroots. And I got to say, so what is PACES, uh, Carrie? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so PACES Connection, we are the, the human and digital catalyst that unites people and organizations and systems and communities in the worldwide PACES, and PACES stands for Positive and Adverse Childhood Experiences. We changed our name in March because the science that shows the importance, the vital importance of creating positive childhood experiences um, uh, is, is we've got to do that. So for this movement, and think of it not unlike the, the AIDS movement, the, the you know, other big movements that have happened, the civil rights movement. Um, we are the main information exchange and resource for this movement. And we support, we foster, we help um, provide uh, all manner of tools for hundreds of local, state, and national, and now not hundreds of international, but we have probably now, probably 15 international communities going as well. So, so we're that connection for people. We have the Library of Congress and Wikipedia-like resources about all manner of information about brain science and um, the, neuro, the, the biological effects of stress, um, the uh, uh, epigenetic impact, um, historical trauma, and then resilience. Uh, so that's what we do. Okay. And so that's going to kind of bring me to my first you know, question. Another question, and that is, how do you advocate for trauma-informed policies and practices? And I'm going to start with you, Jesse. How do you advocate? For- so 
I think that what's so important is that this is such a personal topic that we want to tell our stories, right? And I think that the way that I generally try to encourage people and empower people to advocate is to lead with their why. Um, why are they interested in the movement? Which, Elaine, I frankly appreciate the way that you've ordered these questions, right? Because you very much sort of done that organically. Um, but there's a great TED Talk by Simon Sinek, as well as a book that sort of expands upon it, that talks about what the importance of leading with why is. And if we look at the cross-sections of the brain, Bruce Perry's simplified brain model, the why really gets to the limbic system, that emotional center, which is the heart of people which is where people make decisions from, right? People will justify decisions based on the what and how, but they make decisions based on the why and when you're able to reach people's hearts. So our stories, when packaged correct, like in, in, a, in an intelligible and, and digestible way, really grab the heartstrings. And then we can talk about how and what we're doing to create a trauma-informed world. And regardless of what piece of legislation or which leader we're reaching out to, that method of advocacy is probably going to be the most effective way across the board to reach powerful and influential people to make the changes that we want to see in the world. Oh, that, that was, I love that answer. <laughs> you even talked about the brain, Jesse, because I think that the heart of the story, right? And when you think about the, you know, if I always think about being in school and the stories that I remember, I don't necessarily remember the facts of what I was supposed to learn, but I remember the stories that people told me. And I think that's why it's so important that we have the narratives, not only about what happened to us, but also how we helped get through, like the, the grandma, um, like your grandparents, like playing sports. And, and sometimes that's left out of the equation. So I think we need to illuminate that and spark that. But I want to ask Carrie, too, how do you advocate for trauma-informed policies and practices? Well, you know, Elaine, we are, Paces Connection, um, we're made up of solutions journalists. So we do what Jesse talks about. We scour the earth for stories about what is going on in um, to help prevent and heal trauma, to help um, build resilience. So we are about um, solutions-based journalism, finding those good stories, educating people about the science, um, aggregating what's being done. So we can look back and say, ah, 7 million people watched The Wisdom of Trauma. We've got, you know, 400 XX communities and 52,000 plus members. Um, and engaging people, asking them to tell their stories, because people don't realize how profound their stories are. You know, um, a friend of mine who started a, a, a therapy center um, was very much um, into Native American healing ways when her son committed suicide. I'm not sure that this is the exact order of it, but she has a drum circle and created a whole center then for, for people in grief to go back to those, you know, to learn the stories of Native American um, healing methodologies and to infuse those, but to, to learn how that one, how that changed for, for her and then how we can use those same um, tools, not necessarily going to something new, but going to what has worked and been passed down via story for years, because as Jesse says, we remember how we feel. 
Um, we try to activate these communities and then we celebrate the work. And that's what we teach our communities is to just keep working in that cycle. When you tell people, when a pregnant woman takes an, an ACEs survey and answers those questions and realizes how neglect or abuse or family um, addiction or mental health problems or incarceration or whatever affected her, she does not want her precious little one to grow up in that. So when we remind people of those things, it changes them and changes their motivation. And people are wired to share good news. And so that's what we're, that's what we're counting on. And so, and I think that's important. What you're saying is we're we're wired to to hear good news, because I also think we're wired to hear bad news. We can oh, have yeah. a negativity focus, right? And I think yeah. that that's what's so um, incredibly important about what we're talking about. It's not only the trauma informed and people realizing and connecting the dots. Oh. That's what happened to me, and that's why I'm experiencing this. But then I think that the big challenge is, and now what now? Mm -hmm. And how can we bring that resiliency focus and cultivate that in communities really throughout the world? Um, And starting with ourselves, because if we can't start, like you said, Jesse, if we can't start with us individually first, then how does our kind of nervous system impact another's nervous system? And if we're not in our zone um, and our zone of well-being, Sometimes we don't show up as our best selves, and we've all had those experiences at times, and then we go, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I could have shown up better, but I think there's skills that we can cultivate that can grow that. So um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will hear more wisdom from Jesse Kohler and Carrie Smith-Sip that will let us know a little bit more. Now we're going to get into a deeper dive into this um, fund and find out how, if you're an activist in your community, how can you find out how to you know, put some money into and focusing on some of these resiliency practices so that we can create stronger communities? Um, and we do that one by one with individuals that we love and care about, not only our, our family and friends, but our wider community. So we will be back in a few minutes to hear more from our wonderful guests. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. 
If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back again with Jesse Kohler and with Carrie Smith-Sip, and they are talking to us about trauma-informed practices and resiliency-focused interventions, and they're going to talk to us more about how do we get funding for some of our innovation and our ideas. But before we do that, I have a, um, another question to ask you, and that is, why is community so important to the solution um, of this you know, why do we work with community? Can you elaborate a little bit more? You both have mentioned it in the first segment. So, um, Carrie, would you like to start? Sure. Um, well, Elaine, I believe, and, and I'm not the only one who believes this, but we know um, Bruce Berry says it. Healing happens in relationship. Relationship happens in community. Community is, is formed, um, you know, Together, when we all come together, what was the great quote? Um, a nation is a, is a community of people who love the same thing. You know, what do we love in common? And so um, looking for that is important. But, you know, there's proximity, there's cause, there's, um, you know, lots of different things. But community is where we heal. And community, too, is where we gain strength and learning and wisdom and the ability to make some changes. And you know, community has helped us um, with, in PACES Connection um, and CTIP to get nearly 60 laws and re- resolutions that specifically reference adverse childhood experiences or trauma on the books in 2019 and 2020. The power of, you know, what is it? Never underestimate the, the power of a small group of people. Um, I'll say it my way, hell-bent to do good things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I believe that was a, a that was an adaptation from Margaret Mead. It was an but I like it. From yes. Margaret Mead, but I think she would she would give me a high five on that one. I think she um, would. You know, we, we we are bent to do good things. So and well, you know, and I and I also want to, at this moment I want to kind of highlight Carrie's work. Um, so Carrie and I met. Um, and we've never met in person, but we have had lots and lots of conversations. And she asked me if I would talk to a group of people um, in New Hanover County, um, North Carolina, who had just experienced one of the worst hurricanes of that part of the world. And so um, we were able to come forward. It was myself and um, Drew Pledger, who's from, from Durham. And Kevin McLeod is also from Durham. The three of us were there. 
and we talked about how um, we could bring in the community resiliency model and teach some skills that might help people get back into their their zone of well-being so that it's not that it's going to take away the suffering. It actually acknowledges the suffering, but it also acknowledges what else is true. But anyway, so I was really impressed. You had a group of community people that had already contacted you and you contacted them. You brought us in and we did an hour webinar. And then we ended up creating more um, resiliency focused community resiliency model teachers in that part of New Hanover County. But to me, that's an example. That's one example in one community in one part of America. And I often think, Carrie, could we do it all over the country? Can we? I don't know. <laughs> we, we must. We need to. And, and, and to, to, to follow up on that, um, you know, it's important to note, Elaine has never turned me down. I asked her to do this. That meant she got up at like 5 o'clock in the morning <laughs> to be, you know, in her zone at 6 a.m. for this meeting. And um, since then, which was about three years ago, yes, it was, three I years think ago. it was September of 2018, four Thousand people in New Hanover County have received some type of community resiliency model training. And I just heard from one of the um, county employees, friends of mine, who is a trainer for the county, um, more than 1,900 county employees have been trained. And the county is actually going to receive a national award from the National Association of Counties for creating a culture of resilience in New Hanover County. They're doing some testing. They're, um, they're working to get their employee survey in that shows how their employees are using these skills. Um, but the award's coming in, and I wish that we could get every county manager in the United States of America to, un- to understand the importance of PACES science. Four of the seven um, key uh, reasons that an adult uh, who's having a mental illness problem will seek help are those um, childhood positive experiences. Four of those happen in community. They happen in communities. So we've got to teach our communities how to help do community-led positive childhood experiences as well. So yeah, Lane, well, we, so we, can, we can do it everywhere. We can do it. We can change the world. We, I think we can. <laughs> That's why it. I have you two on the show. So let me ask you this. I think this is an important segue. So we have the American Rescue Plan Act. Amen. Hallelujah. So how, what is this, this act? How can we access it? We need to have information so that we can create what happened in New Hanover County all over the country. So, Jesse, you're going to tell us a little bit about what this act is. So the American Rescue Plan Act is essentially stimulus funding from the federal government, which means that during it it was passed because of the economic uh, crisis that was caused by the COVID-19 public health crisis. And so they wanted to stimulate the economy. So they put, you know, in right when COVID happened, there was something called the CARES Act which is very similar, but with different stipulations, but again, pumping money into the economy. The American Rescue Plan Act was passed in 2021 to do the same. And it has 1.9 million, I'm sorry, $1.9 trillion all the way throughout it. So again, the importance of advocacy and why it's so important to do the federal level work is as my mentor, Dan Press often says, uh, Congress is where the money is. There are funds that really cannot be replicated anywhere else. And this is a good 
illustration of this. So the American Rescue Plan Act does a lot of things. Most people are aware of the direct stimulus payments that went to children and families. Um, But in addition to the direct relief, there are programs that address issues such as housing, hunger, childcare, and unemployment. And there's also historic financing wins. It's the largest investment uh, to cut child poverty um, in the history of our country from the federal government. And it's the largest investment in childcare as well. And what's important to know is that the American Rescue Plan Act, the, the funds flow in different ways. So we won't get too much into the specifics Uh, but some money goes from the federal to the state government, some money goes from federal to state to local, and other monies go from federal to local. And so if you're, let me ask you this, let's say that one of our listeners lives in um, a community and they are a very strong advocate. Maybe they're a member of the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill and they're hearing you speak and they go, oh, well, where's this money coming to our community? So how would they know where to go? How would they know how to maybe funnel some money into what they're doing through NAMI in order to be able to create more support systems for people that have mental health conditions? So the money is going to many places and we'll get into the various sections of the bill or some of the sections, not all of them. Obviously on our website, we have a breakdown of everything that mentions mental health. Some of the funds are you're able to mobilize around others are sort of stuck in for specific purposes. But what's important to know is that it went to every city County throughout the United States, right? There, are, every there, city and county in the United there, States. There, there is funds that went to local governments across the United States to help support them, as well as state governments. And so, they. What is difficult to answer your question, Elaine, is that s- states and localities are set up differently across the United States. So, take NAMI for instance, right? Like NAMI in Washington State is going to look different than NAMI in North Carolina, where Carrie is, and, and or, or NAMI may not, but the advocacy efforts to mobilize around the funds are going to look different. And so if you have inroads into local government, if you have inroads into influential people, begin to have those conversations. There is still time to mobilize around these funds, even though the act was passed a few months ago. But what's important is that people in your county, if you don't know where the money's going or people in your local education agency would likely know where to point you next. I just want to also um, let people know that NAMI again stands for the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill and they have wonderful programs throughout the country that support families and people with mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. Also, um, you mentioned you, people can go to your website, Jesse, in order to get a breakdown of how the funds are being distributed throughout the country. Can you tell us the, your website? Just, well, I'll have you do it again, but let's hear it. We'll hear it more than once because I want people to know where to go to get the information. So if you go to ctip.org, that's C-T-I-P-P.org, this particular document, the American Rescue Plan Act overview, as well as talking points that we have for advocates to mobilize around the American Rescue Plan Act would be in our National Trauma Campaign webpage. So it's a subpage. So it would be ctip.org slash National Trauma Campaign. So let's say that you live in North Carolina where Carrie does, and she's really, and you're a person who's really interested in finding out more about this. Could they come to your website and there would be people that they would be linked to that are in their community that may know more about how this um, fund is being distributed within their community or not? Not right now. So if you were to go to 
uh, Pace's connection, I think that that would be your best way to connect with folks. Again, that's the importance of partnership. Paces and CTIP are doing different things that can be complementary to one another. But I think that the problem, as Carrie and I have continued to peel back the onion on the American Rescue Plan Act and others, is that it is very convoluted and there isn't information in every community about where to go to access or advocate around these funds. There are specific pockets of money that we can get into that we know where to go. There are others that are less clear. And so I think that the important aspect is to get started and start talking to somebody. And there may be a little bit of ping pong action where they pass you off to the next person, pass you off to the next person. But this is a one time, once in a lifetime opportunity. So this is so this is also, for example, um, would you go to your congressperson? Let's say, you know, that your congressperson is blah, blah, blah. And you could go and say, hey, I'm interested in where's this funding going in our community? Would that be a, a, a point uh, if of information? If you have a relationship with your congressperson, they would likely have more information. But I would say to start, it depends on which bucket of money, right? If we're talking about the ESSER funds, which stands for Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Funding, which had $122 billion that went to local education agencies, 90% of that $122 billion went to the local education agencies, you would go to your superintendent or someone in the local education agency itself to advocate around those funds. For the city and county funds, for for the local government funding, you would want to go to somebody at the local government level. Um, I would say that you would want to stay state or local-based because, again, the federal government sort of gave these broad provisions that apply differently to different states. Is it a county-led state? Is it all like is it the same across states it's going to be different across the country and so well, so and so the this a program that is directed towards schools may be a, a good starting point for some people that are really interested in innovations for children absolutely and right. and again we we're excited because it, it's money wise one of the largest opportunities in the American Rescue Plan Act and there is a specific provision that is called out um it's I don't have to get into the specific numbers, but it's essentially for the mental health and well-being of students and staff. And it calls out the community schools model. Now, one of the parts that advocates have to be aware of and the power of advocacy is that a lot of people, when we think of mental health, go straight to a treatment model. And while we recognize the importance of that, while we're advocating, we can talk about how we can be more upstream in our advocacy efforts around addressing student and staff mental health, just school-based mental health, right? So that's where we get into creating trauma-informed environments. And that's the importance of these advocacy efforts because the people who are controlling the funding have other jobs. They, uh, you know, they, they are always doing things and now they have to spend this amount of money that they've never right. had. And so, and so upstream means prevention is that Correct. what kinds of, of programs for well-being. So sometimes even, even if you use the word mental health, people are going, what do you mean? Are you saying that I'm not mentally well, but really programs of well-being and Carrie, I know you have some, something you want to contribute to this conversation. So please, um, why don't you elaborate upon what you're thinking about right now? Well, I just want to ask Jesse, because, I mean, he and I both have been trying to put our arms around this, and it's just so um, amorphous in a way. But so specifically, Jesse, I've got a, a community manager in Mississippi, and she is, in fact, a um, 
community, a, a school counselor. And her passion is, I really want to get the um, Handle with Care Act uh, put into practice all the way across Mississippi. And that's the act that would have uh, law enforcement working with school officials so that if a child has a visit by the police or law enforcement during the night, there's a, a message that goes to the school the next morning that says, handle this child with care. So that child does not do what I would do in the mornings, which is go to school with an upset stomach and have to take a test and flunk it. Um, so how would this community manager go about finding some funding to help her train um well, say, say what she wanted to do is bring the community resiliency model into her school in um, her town in Mississippi. Who would she turn to to say, I need to bring in some trainers. Um, let's get everybody in XYZ County who's in the school system trained because we know I've seen it work in New Hanover. Mm-hmm. Um, little kids running up to their teachers saying, oh, I'm in my greens. I'm in my resilient zone. My brother was bounced out of his zone, but I helped him get back in his zone. And what they're talking about is the zone where they can learn instead of their brain being trapped in that baggie of flight, fight, freeze, fawn. They've got their prefrontal cortex online and they can actually absorb and apply information. So how can my buddy in Mississippi get some money to get CRM there, for example? So I would tell them to say exactly what you just said about why that's so important. Again, that is a beautiful illustration, Carrie, of speaking to the why and then defining how we do it, right? What does CRIM do? And then what does it look like? But I would tell them to go to their local education agency, especially you know, I, if they have a relationship with a superintendent or an assistant superintendent, if it's not them that is controlling the purse strings with the money that was given to their school district, then they would know who it is. But what, you know, if, if you work in a school, especially, you have the relationships and inroads to have those conversations. And you, you just start with the conversation. We're seeing in a ton of schools that people are spending American Rescue Plan Act dollars on, you know, um, infrastructure like, like new HVAC systems because they don't know where else to spend the money. There is so much money that these people are burdened at this point with trying to figure out how to spend so you give them an opportunity to increase psychosocial, emotional, spiritual well-being sort of through one approach and address student mental health, call out that that is an appropriate use of funds in the American Rescue Plan Act in the ESSER funding, which again is elementary and secondary school emergency relief funding. And it, it ultimately comes down to the, to the decision of the person. But if you give them those opportunities and those reasons, what we're really trying to get toward is that this is one-time funding, right? But a strategic investment such as with, with, one, uh, with any number of the models that can create that trauma-informed, resilience-focused, healing-centered environment in schools then creates a legacy, especially if you get to a train-the-trainer model where then teachers who are going to come in the future can rely on mentors and other people that have gone through the model. And, you know, to continue that sort of learning opportunity and growth, that opportunity in schools is so prevalent as well and as other is, places. And I think what you're saying, Jesse, is so important because it's, it's like the old uh, saying, we can, we can teach someone 
um, we can either either give them the fish or we can teach them how to fish. And when you talk about train the trainer programs, and I can, I'll talk about the community resiliency model, you may know that the Trauma Resource Institute is actually a sponsor of the show. Um, so we have, you know, documents that we can, you know, in terms of educating that school counselor in Mississippi and saying, hey, this is what we do. We'll send you this little document. You can take a look at it. If it's something that you want to do, this is a document that has the research. It shows what we've done in other, in other uh, places around the country, like in New Hanover County and like Wake County Schools in North Carolina. We've, I think we've trained, I think we have 60 school counselors that have been trained as community resiliency model teachers. And it's the exact thing you're talking about, Jesse. When you teach one crim teacher, the, how many people can one crim teacher teach? quite a few hundreds, maybe thousands in partnerships, right? And so then you have a legacy that then is spread throughout the community because it's not only the school system, but, you know, schools have parents, they have teachers, they have superintendents. So like in Wake County Schools, they have a drop-in center where people learn crim skills online through Zoom after their workday. So now not only are they learning it through the school, people are coming to Wake County School crim teachers and saying, hey, can you come to our organization and talk about these wellness skills? I think our organization needs it because it's about how we systemically create sustainability and capacity all over the country and the world in order to change this up. And what you said is so important. And I really encourage whatever model that you're thinking about adapting for a resiliency focus, that it be a train the trainer model. So you give the skills of how to create well-being in the hands of the people that live in that community. And I think that's what's been so exciting about what you said, Carrie, about New Hanover County. Well, and, and, and one thing, Elaine, that, that is so important, and Jesse and I have talked about this um, to, so much, about as these funds are going out, and, you know, this is a, it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take some, some funding and try to, um, you know, ameliorate some of the harms that were laid bare by the pandemic, the racism, the inequity, um, the pain. Um, how important it is to, for us to use some of this funding to look at the changes that happen in these communities when we start applying these interventions. You know, so how did it get better? You know, how many people have we affected? How did it get better? D- does this mean that you have more kids who graduate from high school in three years? Does this mean that you got to cut the number of suspensions and expulsions? Does this mean that you have fewer teachers um, calling in sick or that you've reduced teacher turnover because now the teachers know how to handle their stress and the teachers get that if they're dysregulated, their students are going to be dysregulated and then nobody's going to learn anything. So, um, you know, we're looking at uh, not only trying to get the funding, but then showing what happens when you do the funding. And Paces Connection does have some tools that help that happen. We've got a 14-step milestone um, program that shows people how to bring these skills, this information, into, their, into each organization. And it's so important to be able to track that so that then these efforts become sustainable so that when the rescue funding does wear out, run out, we can go back to other sources and get some funding to keep exactly. these, these programs yeah. going. And I, and I hear you both saying this, that right now, this is a great opportunity. This is it. Because we can build, again, 
hopefully there is not another emergency or crisis at the level that requires trillions of dollars to be pumped into the economy like this, right? It happened because of a very bad thing that happened to our country. But like Carrie said, if we use these dollars very uh, for strategically, and we can then advocate around, look at what this little bit of money that went toward a, a trauma-informed approach in a school did, we can create this lasting change. And so federal government, you, it's not going to cost you $2 trillion next time. It'll cost, you know, there, there's a rise from trauma act that is currently in process in Congress that would authorize $600 million as is currently written for local trauma coordinating bodies. So the evidence that comes off of the advocacy from the American Rescue Plan Act can create these windfalls of potentially other advocacy efforts to get more funds for these sorts of efforts. And I know that we have to wrap up soon. So if I may very quickly just touch on beyond just the ESSER funds, there are sort of like four big buckets of funding that we can mobilize around. There is more information on this. If you search the CTIP YouTube channel, we have a webinar that we did that's an hour long that really goes in depth into each of these buckets. But there's the K-12 education as well as early childhood education. There's physical, behavioral, and mental health care, child maltreatment prevention and emergency assistance, and aid to state, local, and tribal governments that we can advocate around those four big buckets to direct them toward these investments that we've sort of been talking about here. So All I right. just wanted and, to put that And Jesse, that. thank you for those parting words. And can you, again, say your website? I want to hear it, have everybody hear it again. So you can look up. Uh, www.ctipp.org. And for that video, you can go to our YouTube page, which if you look up CTIP, C-T-I-P-P, to my knowledge, there is no other CTIP out there. All right. Thank you, Jesse. And how about you, Carrie? What is a parting thought that you would like to leave our our listeners with? Um, Join our movement to help prevent and heal trauma and to build individual family and community resiliency. Go to Paces Connection P is in Paul, A-C-E-S dot com and, um, and join us. Find your, in the communities, find your, click on it and find your community. And if there's not one, we can help you start one because as Jesse's talking about, um, you know, it's a free-for-all with this money. If you've already built the relationships with the people in your communities who are the decision makers, and that's what we've got people doing in these Paces Connection communities, they're cross-sector, they've got the school board involved, they've got police force involved, they've got the judiciary. So they really have the whole, the, all the stakeholders of the community. So what I'd like to say right. to both of you, thank you so much for coming on board and really, and sharing your wisdom and also how to, Try to get these funds in your community to create really a greater future for all of our children and our adults. And I think that you are both available. You know how to get a hold of them. And I want to thank all of you again. And also want to say one thing to our listeners. Remember what else is true. Remember that I know that all of us suffer, but all of us have things that have happened to us in our lives, even if it's something imagined that sometimes can help us get through the, the hardest of times. So this is your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, signing off for the, for the day, and we will see you next time. Thank you.
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.